you could, open up your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah 7. While you're opening up to Zechariah 7, even as I mentioned to young Weston, uh, we are making a solid transition in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah's writings, and uh, what the Lord is doing through Zechariah, because if you've been with us for any some weeks, you know that uh, chapters 1 through 6 <laughs> were, as I mentioned, uh, perhaps a little bit different than what you might be used to, uh, what we might call apocalyptic even, uh, seeing some pretty if I just might use the word, absurd things, uh, where we're thinking, man, what in the world could this be? But we saw they were really just pictures, pictures of the truths of God being revealed. But now we make this hard stop and move into uh, what we might consider almost just like a telling of how ministry is playing out boots on the ground now. As uh, Zechariah is with the priests and as they are moving forward and, and even coming into contact with different individuals. And that's what we see this morning, different individuals coming and asking certain questions that on uh, the surface seem very righteous and as the Lord might reveal are actually very unrighteous. And, it actually gets to the point of the sermon series that we've been in. Homecoming and heart checks. These people are coming home. They are home. They made it. Uh, it's been a long 70 years in Babylon. There has been a captivity where the Lord essentially uh, allowed this empire to destroy all that the people of God knew. Now they're back trying to do this thing, trying to be the people of God, and it is very different. And they are realizing something. They need a heart check. Things are not right, not only on the outside. Things are not right on the inside, in their souls. And they're working through what this means. And that's what we'll see here in chapter 7 uh, with, as I was mentioning for, during our children's sermon, with a very important question being asked. What is worship? Because these people are coming. These people are coming and they are saying, should I worship like I've been doing? And God gives a resounding answer. No, you should not worship as you have been, for you have not been worshiping in the way that you should. It is a very important reality, not just for then, but for now. For us here, not only in this room, but for all of us in Christendom in the 21st century. This is of vital importance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I hope that we might pay attention to this word. But first, let us pray that the Lord might bless the reading of it. Remember the main point. What is worship? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, Indeed, we ask the question, and it is something that we must come to grips with as a people following after you because it is easy for us to stray. We are sinners, needy and weak, and God, you are a good father who comes, even runs on the road as we see Jesus speak in the parable. Lord, thank you for coming to us and rejoicing over us and for helping us and blessing us and do it now. Do it in the reading of your word in Jesus name. Amen. Zechariah chapter 7 starting with verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord. 
saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. <coughs> Excuse me. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called. And I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro. And the pleasant land was made desolate. The grass withers, the flowers fade. The word of the Lord remains forever. Let's pay attention to it this morning. Praise be to God for it. And before you think, wow, this is like a pretty depressing piece of scripture. Uh, there is very good news to be found within. What is worship? We'll get there with three points. Worship is towards God. Number two, worship is active obedience. And number three, worship comes from a changed heart. First, then, in answering the question, what is worship, it is important to establish the reality that number one, worship is towards God. We'll see this in verses one through six. Baseline for us, a good working definition of worship is that which we give to God. Okay, there are a ton of different ways we could define this, but baseline, this is a good working one. That which we give to God. So what is worship? That which we give to God. This, I hope, sounds pretty straightforward and agreeable for most of us. However, what we see in verses 1 through 6 is a principle that plays out in the Christian life and can be summed up with what Paul said to the church in Corinth. So... Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Verse 6 of chapter 7. Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed? Uh, excuse me, that was verse 7. Verse 6 of chapter 7. When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Do you hear the difference? Right? What is Paul telling the church in Corinth? Whatever you do, 
Whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all for the glory of the Lord. And what is the Lord telling these people who are coming and asking, hey, should we worship in this way? <laughs> what are y'all doing? You're talking about fasting. You're talking about weeping, right? Fasting, that is not eating, okay? Uh, weeping, that is mourning, right? So not having a party, but being morose and seeing if the Lord might work and hear our pleas, okay? He's in. But, but even for 70 years when you were eating and drinking, you were just partying, even when you were in slavery. What are we thinking here, people? Is what God is intimating with a statement like that. These individuals who were coming to, verse 2, entreat the favor of the Lord were really seeking favor for themselves. They just wanted more of something. Prestige, power, goods, blessing, whatever it is that you might say there. And that's what God says in verse 5. Was it for me that you fasted? And it's right there that we get exposed, right? We would love for this to stay in the century that it's in, right? We would love for it to stay with those people who are coming to ask the priests if they should do this. But that right in that moment is where we ourselves are getting revealed. God is asking, why did you come to church this Sunday morning? There are certainly a plethora of benefits that we receive in coming to church. For instance, relationships and community with like-minded individuals in a world that has become, truth be told, pretty aggressive towards Christianity. It's pretty nice to come on a Sunday morning and be with some people that aren't going to balk, pass out, or run away when I say that I'm a pastor. Okay? Uh, if y'all want to see some awkward conversations, just watch me go to the barbershop and tell somebody what I do. All right? I mean, it's awkward nowadays. It's not like it was. I remember even as a child when I would go to the barbershop that I could speak of spiritual things and it was no big deal. Now, I'm wondering if they're going to maybe give me a closer buzz than I think, you know? <laughs> I mean, true. I mean, for real. Surely y'all uh, can, uh, can feel that, right? Wherever you might find yourselves at work or at play, wherever it is, it's, it's a different feeling in the world. And so that is a great benefit to have relationships and community with like-minded individuals. There is a sense of belonging that comes alongside of that. There's opportunity to grow and mature in our faith. The Lord himself tells us this. There are safe guards from temptations of the world. Uh, for as we come into the people of God, the Spirit works and grows us in righteousness. And as we grow in righteousness, that armor of God gets stronger and stronger and the sins of the world do not prevail in our lives. This is natural. It's a natural flow of what we call sanctification, of growing more and more towards the Lord rather than towards the world. These are benefits of coming to church. But all of these benefits, including the ones that I did not mention, are not why you should come to church. Why then should you come to church on a Sunday morning? Why? For the Christian, the answer must be singular, to worship God, period. The benefits, they are really great. They are really there. But even if the benefits were removed, even if it was difficult rather than easy, bad rather than good to come, the Christian would show up to worship 
because that is what Sunday morning is about. That is what worship is about. Therefore, the Christian will come. Secondly, then, as we're thinking about what worship is, it's towards God, there is another point that we see. Worship is also active obedience. Verses 7 through 10. If worship is that which we give God, one thing that God has required of us from the very beginning. We're talking pre-fall here. Genesis chapter 2, okay? Uh, one thing that he has required of us is obedience. Hey, Adam, don't eat of that tree, okay? Obedience, don't do it. You'll live. If you do eat it, you'll die. It's obedience. He has called us. And from there, all the way through, God is calling us in a like manner to obedience. We are called to do what he says. Thankfully, this is really good news, God is good. And this means that which he requires of us is good. Verses 9 and 10 of our text, thus says the Lord of hosts. What does he say? What is his desire, right? Is this really difficult for us? Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Those are good things. He is calling us to good. But this active obedience is directly connected to our first point. That is, that worship is towards God and not meant for us. And the same is true for obedience because obedience is for God and not for us. In other words, just like coming to church on Sunday, there are benefits for obedience. Think about it. And I'm sure that y'all will resonate with these. I hope you will. For instance, obedience gives us peace with God. Not discord, but peace. When we find ourselves in line with the Lord, we get a clean conscience because of that peace. In other words, that little voice in the back of our head isn't constantly screaming at us and driving us crazy, right? Because we know that we're doing the wrong thing and we're still doing it. We get that clean conscience that is informed by the Holy Spirit that comes alongside of the peace that we have with God through obedience. There is contentment in a world filled with discontent. It, doesn't contentment sound good? Joy, meaning, like literal meaning, meaning in your life, wherever you find yourself. Wisdom, and so on. But all of these benefits, including the ones I didn't mention, are not why you should obey God actively. Why should you obey? For the Christian, the answer must be to worship God, to give him that which is his, yourself. He has bought you with a price, his son Jesus. And that's where we go from here. Because as we see that worship is towards God, as we are answering that question, what is it? And we see that there is an act of obedience. We think, do that. I, I, I can't do that. I can't actively obey. I'm struggling with that. Uh, and, and maybe all of us should be saying that. But, but we see that, that the Lord is doing a work. And that's our, our third point. It becomes crystal clear when we see that worship, it must come from a changed heart. Verses 11 through 14. 
Remember where we are in the text. The why, right? Why is God talking the way he's talking? Why, why, what is he addressing? We, we need to remember that because these individuals are coming, these, these people of God, right? They are within the covenant. This, this, these aren't outsiders. These are people who are coming. And for 70 years, in certain months, they have not been eating food right? Uh, they have been fasting. And, and when you fast, right? Oh, I feel that pang of hunger. What do you do? Instead of eating, close your hands and pray, right? That's a, a very simplified explanation of fasting. But, but that's the point, right? Is that, oh, you feel that hunger of pain? Boom. Close your hands and pray. Uh, you begin to fully rely on the Lord instead of on those pleasures of life. You remove yourself somewhat from these things that might tempt you, even these baseline things. And you think more and more of God and you pray and you pray and you pray. And so we have these individuals who have been carrying on this institution for 70 years and yet they have been doing it with this thought in mind. Maybe if I do this, the Lord is going to get me home. Maybe if I do it, the Lord will hear me this time. Maybe if I do it, I'll get something. But what is worship? Isn't it interesting that God answers the people's question with a history lesson? Because the point is, is that God doesn't change. And so as God has revealed something in one generation, it's perfect for another generation. He, he doesn't change. And so he gives these people a history lesson. And the hearts of his people, that's the history lesson, is that the hearts of his people don't change on their own. That's the lesson. He's been saying it from the beginning. You can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. Will you come to me? Jesus says that. Come to me. Come to me. Believe on me. I am going before you. I am sending the Holy Spirit to you. Come to me, right? Uh, every, every moment that we see in God's revelation is a working that shows that we can't do it and that God is doing it. Verses 11 and 12. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Of course, we see the repercussion of disobedience play out in the remaining verses culminating in the very exile that they were coming back from and that they're now grappling with in Zechariah's time. So here's the question. Is there any material, though, that God cannot break? Right? It's like a, you know, the old monks of old, how many angels can dance on the pin of a needle? You know, can God lift, can God make a boulder that can't be picked up? Can God pick up the boulder that can't be picked up, right? You know, all these questions that sometimes you hear and you're like, what are you even talking about? You know, who cares, right? You know, but, but here's a really important question for us. Is there any material in the world that God cannot break? And the answer is no. For God has created all things. Even diamonds are as clay in the hands of God. Even diamond hard hearts unwilling to seek after God are as clay in the hands of a God who pursues his people. That 
is good news. For we are all who have strayed and gone far off, sinned and fallen into the displeasure of God. And what did God do with that? He sent his son Jesus. His son Jesus who came willingly, fully God, took on uh, humanity, fully God and fully man. He lived this life as humans do, okay? And as he lived this life in perfection, he didn't just go away after that. He died a death for you that he might take all the sins on to him, all the sins that we do, all the diamond, hard-hearted, nasty, sick, sometimes that we think is good but is really bad stuff, and he took it on him, received the wrath, and then said, Lord, put my righteousness on my people, and I'm going to bring them home with me. That is the good news of the Lord Jesus. And as that happens, boom, a diamond breaks. A diamond hard heart. And what do we get? If you were to read the book of Ezekiel, hearts of stone turned to hearts of flesh. That is, those that are alive. And then what do you get right after that? You see some bones in the field, and what does God ask Ezekiel, son of man? Do you think these bones can live? I don't know. Tell them to rise up. And they do. God gives them life. And how? By his spirit that dwells within them. And these people that were dead in exile in Babylon, by the way, which is where Ezekiel is talking about, they rise up in life. For 70 years they were dead. And they rise up in life as God is not only giving them a homecoming, but giving them a heart check. It's the reality of what God is doing and why these things played out the way they did. Worship comes from a changed heart. You can fast all you want. You can eat, drink, and be merry all you want. You can actively obey all you want. And you have not yet worshipped God. Worship is giving not to yourself, but unto the Lord. And as we have the other mentality and we think about God, the rest of our righteousness falls into line as we love our neighbor as ourselves, right? That second great commandment of Jesus. Okay. Let's apply this text. There's a couple good ways, six of them in fact, that can get us there. As we think about chapter 7 and what Zechariah is telling us about worship here, really what the Lord is. Number one, we must remind ourselves, as I have been saying, that God deserves our worship, which means that God is more important than we are. It's a heart check. Do we care more about God than we do about ourselves? Period. It's a question we all must answer. And, and it's not as easy as yes. <laughs> uh, it's when we think about our lives and what we do. Don't just say yes and move on. Think about how you set up your life. What is it that you do? And then answer the question, is God more important than you to you? Number two. We must remind ourselves that veiled actions cannot deceive God. Uh, these men come to the priests. Oh, we've been mourning and fasting for 70 years. Should we keep on? Our righteousness exudes from us. 
you know, if, if they were tricking the priests, right? We've been doing this. You know, they're very serious, right? You think, wow, these guys are super righteous. You know, even if they were the best liars in the world, what does God do? No. Stop what you're doing. I can see right through you. God is God. He can see right through you. Uh, you might deceive me. You might deceive the people in the pews, but you can never deceive God. We must always remind ourselves that veiled actions cannot deceive God. He sees right through you. Number three, we must be people of the word because God doesn't change and his word to us remains the same and it is the perfect rule of faith and practice and so when we see the Old Testament it is the same word as the New Testament when we see Genesis it is the same truths of Revelation and we see God's goodness and power and might and mercy and grace and heart changing power upon his people as he extends that good news, the gospel, and it is fully revealed in the Lord Jesus. And what does Jesus say? That all of those things, the prophets, the Psalms, they are all about me. Luke chapter 24. We see that we must be a people of the word for in the word we find the truth and with the truth we see just what worship is. Number four, once we establish ourselves into gospel obedience, now remember what gospel obedience is, not obeying to save yourself, okay? That's not worship, and that's not gospel obedience. That's not Bible obedience. Therefore, it's not obedience at all. Just because I help somebody across the road doesn't mean I'm obeying the Lord, okay? I must do it with a heart for the Lord and reveal myself in that way. So we don't obey to save ourselves. We only obey because we have been saved. Now we look at verses 9 and 10, and here's the application. If you sent a text message with those qualities to your coworkers, your family, and your friends, would they laugh at you or say, yes, you look like that? Look at those. The qualifications of righteousness, you might say. There's a lot of them in the scriptures. These are some really good ones. Verses 9 and 10. Text that to somebody if, you, if you're bold enough. Do you look like that? You might not even need to send the text. You might just say, no, I'm not there yet. But here's the thing. As we look to the Lord, we can pursue those things in righteousness because of what the Lord has done in our lives. That's what I do when I pray and I say, God, stir within us and move us and change us moving from here. Change us to this is what I mean. Verses 9 and 10, that we might see a world changed through us. That is the power of the church in this world. That is the power that moves forward. Not just some, I helped you off the ground move. No, it moves forward the gospel, which is I helped you into eternity. On the right side. Number five. Are you humble enough to acknowledge the diamond hard heart that God cracked on your behalf? For the Christian, this is baseline belief. It is not a humility we strive for. It is not a humility we look for. For the Christian, we fully and wholeheartedly acknowledge the diamond hard heart that God had to crack for us to be here and worshiping the Lord. Number six. And lastly, 
This word reminds us to keep God in focus in the midst of trial, tribulation, and suffering. Because as he makes painfully clear in verses 13 and 14, I hope you didn't miss it, he will use afflictions to wake us up and get us off the path of destruction because our eternal souls are at stake. Who sent his people into exile? Was it Babylon? No. Was it one man? No. Was it the people of God? No. It was God himself who sent his people into exile for 70 years, into the trial and the suffering and the difficulty and the pain and the weeping, that they might not weep anymore. That they might have a life and a life everlasting. Yes, there are momentary afflictions in this world. And yes, God is totally in control. And he uses those things, as Jesus says so quickly, to wake up. That's what he tells his disciples. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. That is heavy. That is heavy. And yet so good for the Christian. What is worship? Worship is that which we give to God. Worship is that active obedience which we give to God. Worship comes from a changed heart from God to his people. Now, will you sing this with me? Will you sing it from your soul? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Search me and try me, try me. Master today, whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence. Humbly I bow. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to sing from the soul. Move with your spirit and indeed change us, not to a worship of ourselves, but to that which we render to you, our whole being. For you have bought us with a price, even your own son, who you did not withhold that we might come into your presence with singing. God, thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.